Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, his dad jokes have double strike. It's Matt Morgan. So this is your annual reminder that when the sun casts solar flare, make sure that you wear sunscreen. Otherwise, you're going to end up looking like a sunscorch regent. <laughs> sunscorch regent. Um, that's a good card. But Matt, I can't help but feel like you might be... Um, Trying to warn people about not getting sunburned, maybe? Uh, only people that are watching on YouTube today understand <laughs> the severity of the situation here. Good to know. Good to know. That's a good image for everyone listening out there. <laughs> uh, up next, he didn't choose a background. The background chose him. It's Dana Roach. Little uh, D&D joke for all y'all out there. Um, why does leather armor make rogues better at sneaking? It's, it's, it's made of sure. it's made of hide. Mm, there it is. It's a good one. That that's that's so that dad joke has goad. That one goaded <laughs> yes, me. That's right, exactly. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it kind of snuck up on you a little bit there, Joey. Yes, it did. It also has unblockable. I, can't, I couldn't do it. I was mm. defenseless. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Dana, do you mind telling us what it is that we're talking about in this week's episode? We are going to talk about our favorite cards of 2022 so far. There's only been <laughs> nine sets released, so like we don't have the full year, uh, but we've got a few to to dig into. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're only about halfway through the year, um, but there have been just so many cool cards coming out in a whole lot of sets. As you mentioned, there have been quite a lot of products, but we did want to pick out a handful of the things that have just made us feel really happy like there's a lot going on but there are some really amazing diamonds in the rough out there that we just wanted to give some love to because they just really were very exciting and we're happy to upgrade our decks with these cards and so let's just have a really fun positive time talking about some of our favorite new cards of the year so far real quick before we get into our main topic we want to thank chase aka manicurves for helping us with the post-production of the show and of course we want to thank our sponsors for the show too the EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Ordering from them was like rolling a natural 20. <laughs> Just go to EDH Rec and pick the card in question and select the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. 
And if you'd prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash edhretcast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join our Discord community. We have a Game Finder channel, so if you ever need to find people to join a pod, you can do that over at the Patreon Discord. If you want to see episodes a day early, there's a Patreon tier for that as well. There's all sorts of that and more. Just an excellent way to get yourself a little extra bonus while supporting the show at the same time. All that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast. And there's even that legendary tier where everyone just gets a shout out just for joining a random listener every single, well, random supporter, I should say, every single week. And this week's special shout out is going to Joachim Sventessen. So Joachim, thank you so much for the support. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, thank you just, yeah, for, for being a, a patron. We definitely appreciate every one of them, but we can only give one very special shout out. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so, so much to our patrons and to you, Joachim. And now... Let's get into our main topic. We are talking about our favorite cards of 2022 so far. So we are looking at Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, Streets of New Capenna, and Commander Legends 2, The Battle for Baldur's Gate. And I don't know, y'all, this is just such a a fun feeling year. Uh, Dana, as you alluded to earlier, there is a lot going on. I think that Streets of New Capenna, in a way, did kind of like completely wash over me. I couldn't keep up with it. But like the Baldur's Gate set is really, really resonating with me. So there's a lot going on in that one that I really, really like. But Dana, first, like give us your impression of how the year is going. Are there a lot of cards that are exciting you or is it like just a handful of small things? What's your general impression so far of 2022? I, I I haven't walked away from any set really like being blown away, but when I go back and look, I have wound up adding like three or four cards from all three of these sets to all of my decks, it seems like. So oh. I, I guess I'm excited. I just didn't really realize it. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of really, really good stuff, I guess. I can definitely say that. Um, and I think when the year is done, we're going to look back and just be amazed how many cards from 2022, we've wound up adding to our decks, at least if these three first three sets are an indication. That's so funny. I love that. Matt, are you also surprised to find how delighted you were? Or what's your energy on this? Well, the, the, the bright side is even if you are overwhelmed, like I definitely have been throughout preview season, there, there, there are no separate seasons. It's just one big season right. uh, <laughs> encompassing different sets. So, uh, but yeah, if, if even if you aren't able to keep up, you're able to circle back through any of these sets or all of them at once. And you're able to probably find two or three cards, like Dana said, for every single one of your decks, no matter what the theme is, no matter what the strategy is. There's just been a lot of cards printed this year, and a lot of them are just very, very powerful or very cool. They do some neat things. They're doing unique things for sure. So yeah, it's it's just nice that no matter what deck you have, you probably have gotten at least a card from the three sets this year. It's crazy to think it's only been three sets. Yeah, for real. And let's get into some specifics. Dana, I'll pass the ball back to you. Tell us about a card that is absolutely standing up from amongst the rest. Tell us about a favorite of yours from 2022 so far. Um, You know, rather than get into a specific card to start with, I think I'm just going to mention I've been really happy with Baldur's Gate overall so far. Hmm. Um. Obviously, it's Commander Legends, so, like, there's a lot of Commander-focused stuff. Not that there isn't in every set these days, but there's even more <laughs> so in, in in the Baldur's Gate Commander Legends 2 set. So, I mean, that helps. But the thing that I found myself really liking about it, it's not that I didn't enjoy the kind of futuristic or crime noir aesthetics we got from Neon Dynasty and Capenna. 
but I really found myself missing kind of a standard fantasy world um, and vibe that we've got from Baldur's Gate because hmm. we also didn't really have it in the fall either. We, you know, it was very much a horror-based set in in the two Innistrad ones. So this felt like the first time in a while we got a magic set that felt like kind of the early days in terms of just the overall, you know, aesthetics and theme and vibe of everything. And I, and I was really glad to see that. I, I that again, I, I didn't, I wasn't bothered by that, the futuristic stuff that we got, but it was very comforting to go back to something that felt like it, it was part of alpha to a degree. So that, so that to me definitely has felt good. Yeah. Dana, I definitely agree. I don't get some of the hate that some people have been throwing out on social media for Baldur's Gate. <gasps> I think it's a perfectly fine set. Nothing screams ban me or this is going to be a problem or anything like that. But to me, that's a good thing. I think we're so yeah. used to at least one or two cards getting the ire of the community. And there's nothing really that has jumped out from this set. And so I think maybe people are a little lukewarm and they're, they're saying that. And well, this isn't a, a properly powered set. This is a perfectly powered set. There's a lot of really fun things going on. Heaven forbid that... The people who design cards at Wizards of the Coast figure out the balance of power, prior cost, all of those things, and then make a powerful card that doesn't need to get banned. It makes the rules committee's job so much easier if they're not printing cards like Holebreacher. <laughs> this is true. This this set doesn't contain the jeweled lotusy type of opposition agency cards that get like read a certain way and get a, a lot of discourse, and it also doesn't contain the Holebreachers, and like that's a good thing. That, that, that is that is a good thing. That's I am a pro. wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah, I am pro that energy. <laughs> Just because cards aren't broken doesn't mean they aren't powerful. Those two things aren't necessarily synonymous. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like the, the cards in this set are also a little more targeted. Mm -hmm. Yes, there aren't the Jeweled Lotuses like we mentioned or the Jessica's Wills or the Hull Breachers that are almost good in any deck that can run them. But there's a lot of stuff that's very good in this specific deck that wants to do that specific thing. And I think that's much healthier than feeling like, oh, I need to get five copies of Jeweled Lotus for all of my fast decks or I'm going to fall behind or I need to have Jessica's Will in every red deck because it's one of the best red draws was ever printed. Like there, there aren't those kind of cards, but there's just a lot of really good stuff that's like going to shine in this deck or this card is going to shine in that deck. And I think overall, that's much healthier for Commander than cards that you feel like you want to put in every single deck. All right. We've, we've talked generally about the set and we like its vibe and its overall, you know, where it's at in terms of its uh, its level and stuff. But like, let's get into some specifics now. Dana, what are some specific cards that do stand out to you from the set? I really I really want to know about the specific cards that are, are really breaking into your interest. Um, you know, so if, if we're talking specifically Baldur's Gate to start with, um, Robe of the Arch Magi is really, really interesting, I think. It's an equipment in blue. So that, you know, takes it away from your kind of traditional Boros equipment anyway, which is kind of nice. It's interesting. Um, and that's a pretty powerful draw effect, I think. Um, whenever equipped creature deals combat damage player, you draw that many cards. There's a lot of stuff that hits really, really hard that's going to draw you, uh, you know, a whole bunch of cards with that. And you are in blue, so it's pretty easy to protect whatever is wearing the robe with counter magic. And then you're going to draw a bunch more spells that are going to let you protect it. It's, I think, very synergistic with blue. It's got a great piece of art on it, and I'm looking forward to running it in at least one, if not two decks. It's, it's a card. It's probably the card that I am 
maybe most excited for from the set for some reason. Well, and Dana, you missed probably the most important pieces. You're in blue, so it's not like you're going to be lacking for any sort of evasion, like flying or anything like that, too. <laughs> exactly, right. Because blue yeah. blue is totally just very hard to block with their creatures, so. And it equips to wizards for super cheap. Right. It equips to a bunch of different stuff for, like, oh. So, like, Riel the Everwise, for example, can get really big, and then this oh, will shut up, let shut, you... shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> don't, don't give out the secret. Don't give out the secret. <laughs> you're giving away trade secrets here, Joey. Thought we had an agreement. Oh, I'm I'm super sorry, but yeah, no, like these that that is a really cool special thing. And Matt, I look forward to seeing the robe of the Arc Magi in your red and blue deck. Your unspecified <laughs> random is a deck Matt may or may not in be a playing. deck that I totally don't have or is functioning and not will be brought with me to events of the future. No, yeah, no, that that exactly hits the the point that you were saying uh, earlier. Both of you were saying earlier that like this is powerful in a specific case, and that's exactly where we want power to be. And that is exciting. I think it will really catch some folks off guard. Which types of creatures are actually you know also shamans or also warlocks or also wizards that would allow this robe to be equipped for super cheap? and to draw them a bunch of extra cards for super cheap. Dana, I really, really like that one. Yeah, well, that's a good observation, Joy. Like, is, I mentioned this not being the traditional equipment colors, which is usually Boros. If this was a, a you know red or white artifact or something that you would run in those decks, you would just probably put it in every Boros equipment deck, right? Because you're going to be equipping up some, some creature and, and hitting people with like four swords or something and drawing 11 cards. Um, but by having it be blue, it's, you have to make a much more intentful decision about where you're going to run it. And I, that's the kind of thing I like about this set. There's powerful stuff in here, but it's not generically powerful. It's powerful in a specific build. So yeah, mm. that's, that, that's, that's perfect. I'm, I'm super into that. I want to take a moment to talk about just like my favorite commanders of this Baldur's Gate set, because I like this deck. Uh, this set is going to cause me to build some decks, but specifically, it's encouraging me to shift some other decks over to new things. I've had Marin of Clan Neltoth for a very long time, but I have grown a little bit weary is maybe the right word uh, with the play patterns of that deck since it is so familiar to me and I've had it for so long like and optimally playing that deck is to repeatedly recur stuff like Fleshbag Marauder over and over again so I'm constantly uh, recurring removal and I'm just like "Ah, you know for a little while now I've been wanting to have a different taste of my sacrificing necromancy ways and then out comes Baba Lasaga the Night Witch which is sending me over the moon and Yes, I will be actually referring to this not as Baba Lasaga, but as Baby Lasagna forever because of the way that the name is spelled. This is now Baby Lasagna. I am not taking questions at this time. Baby Lasagna is an amazing three mana three three in Golgari that lets you sacrifice up to three permanents. And if you sacrifice at least three different types of permanents from among those things, then each opponent loses three life, you gain three life, and you draw three cards. So if you sacrifice like a creature that is also an enchantment, that counts for two types. If you have like a Mishra's Factory, which is a land that can turn into an artifact creature you can just have baby lasagna eat that one thing and then you'll get that whole effect I, ah, i'm so excited to change marin over to this commander because it's something new it's fresh it's exciting for me and i love sacrificing stuff there's also that new shadow heart commander that lets you sacrifice a big creature and draw cards equal to its power like i'm shifting around decks i have because of these commanders and i'm so excited about that I'm probably doing the same thing, Joey. I, I, I currently have a Jeru with arms wide open deck. Um, <laughs> I, 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 and I like the idea of, of mono white planeswalkers because it's kind of bad. Um, but Jeru also, by being a tutoring commander, I, I kind of go for the same things pretty often very early. There's obvious targets. 
Whereas Lizelle um, Vlackith's champion is a mono white commander that basically lets your planeswalkers come in with an extra counter. So it's it's also viable as a mono white planeswalker commander. It's not going to it's, it's going to play different because I'm not going to be tutoring up kind of the same um, you know Karn that draws me a card every time. I'm going to be able to make more choices. And also, if I want to, I could pair her up with a background. If I wanted to not play Mono White, I could play Azorius Planeswalkers, or I could play, you know, something, I could play some kind of two-color pair if something catches my eye, versus most of the time people are playing five-color. Um, so it, it gives me some some freedom there to to do something a little bit different, too, with that same deck. So I, I'm going to be making the same move, I think, with that commander. So, uh, Dana, I want to pour one out just for your Scott Stapp impression just now. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was wonderful. For 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 you you paper or your you youngins, uh, Creed was the band that <laughs> yeah. had their Everyone arms under wide the open. The age of thirty has no idea what that was. About. <laughs> absolutely. Well, okay. So so I'm going to combine Joey, your your just absolutely fun name to say, Commander, with Dana's <laughs> lyrical Commander. Um, Raga Draga Gorgut's boss is probably the most <laughs> fun Commander name to say, maybe ever. <laughs> Like it, it's it's every time I hear it, I just want to sing "Bad Romance" by Lady Gaga. <laughs> ra, ra, that, raga Draga. That's yes, amazing. exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's just such a fun name to say, and that's why I'm I'm gonna build this commander. But also, it's actually a very very cool and powerful commander. Uh, Mana dorks. Are, it's a card type or a creature like roll that very quickly gets outclassed the later the game goes. And this totally flips it on its head. It makes them relevant. It's such a just swell designed card. I I love Raga Draga, the bad romance. And it's, uh, it's just such a fun design. Everything about this card just makes me very happy. This is the first commander probably in a, a, at least a year that I instantly wanted to brew around. I, I love that. And that's the Gruel Human Boar, 4 mana, 4-4. Four, four. Each creature you control with a mana ability, so those mana dorks, they get plus 2, plus 2. Whenever a creature you control that has a mana ability attacks, you untap it. That's amazing. So they're practically vigilant. And whenever you cast a spell, if at least 7 mana was spent to cast it, untap target creature, and it gets plus 7 and gains trample for the turn. This is, oh yeah, this is this is a feisty card. Like, it's fun to say, and that's going to be fun to play. I, I'm just so hopeful for this. I, I I don't like having multiple decks of the same color combinations. Don't care. Gonna build it. Thank you. Move on. <laughs> what do you mean you don't like having multiple decks of the same color combinations? Don't you have like three Selesnya decks? Shut up. Don't, don't judge me. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell me how to Selesnya do my business. Count. <laughs> don't give away the secrets, Joey. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, actually, speaking of having multiple decks of the same color combos, y'all know that I play a lot of Golgari. I have like three or four, it might even be five Golgari decks. Um, and one of them for me is Virdus and Gorm, which is my uh, my amazing little little pokey boys. Virdus just loves to go in there. He's just a little one-one with death touch. He doesn't do a whole lot of damage, except when he does actually hit an opponent, they lose half of their life, which is so, so much fun. And that new background raised by giants seems so good for this deck and i'm so excited to get my hands on one of these raised by giants is the background that says commander creatures you control are also 10 tens and giants in addition to their other stuff and that seems so good for partner decks any one of those backgrounds seems amazing for partner decks and i really like playing with partners and i especially like giving my virtus and gorm boys a little bit of extra punch in that regard turning my little one one death touch guy into a 10 10 instead I'm really excited for a lot of backgrounds, but especially this one. 
I just I love backgrounds in general. People are focusing on them to to have them act as a pseudo partner type of card. They're just totally fine in decks in the ninety nine. Yes, they're just great card designs in general. So I. I, I just love how every time Watsy reapproaches the partner mechanic, they're tweaking it a little bit more each time and making it a little more refined. And it just, it's, this is probably my favorite iteration of that. Yeah, whether it was the Friends Forever iteration where you have a limited pool mm-hmm. or the super limited pool of, of partner with or, or this, I, I feel like every time you're right, every time they've made a, they, they've revisited a variant on this, I've liked the revisitation more and more every time. Uh, backgrounds are fantastic so far. I, I'm, I've got a handful I'm going to run just generically in decks, absolutely. And I'm definitely going to try to put together at least one deck that's running a partner or running a background actually in the command zone. Um, yeah, they are, they found a way to make them kind of useful without them being kind of generically useful in a way that they, they struggled with with the original partners where they were super useful in a, but it, it kind of lent itself to not building a deck that did a specific thing. Um, these feel useful, but they're they're not forcing you away from a deck theme either. So kudos to design for once again feeling like they really found a way to nail that mm-hmm. in like their third or fourth try here. And they've they've really done really, really, really good, good work with this set and with finding ways to make that partner variant very effective. And, and, and I, again, like here that these are cards, when you play them in the 99, that encourage you to have your commander in play, which can sometimes be risky. And it, it enforces a play pattern that I really like seeing in commander. And some of these are like genuinely kind of just <laughs> like really amazing. Inspiring leader is the white background that uh, says commander creatures you own have creature tokens you control get plus two plus two. Like if you're playing a Tana the Bloodsower deck, for example, and you've got like two partners there and you're making a bunch of tokens, you could have two commanders in play that are giving a total of plus four to all of your stuff. Or Criminal Past is one that pumps up all of your creatures, uh, excuse me, your commanders for all of the creatures that are in your graveyard. And I'm just like, yes, I love a big graveyard. This sounds, go on. I'm really into this. That sounds terrific. And then there's, Dana, I'm sure that this will be uh, catching your eye for your Jervy Treasure deck. Agent of the Iron Throne actually seems like absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. That's the black background that says creatures, uh, commander creatures you own have whenever an artifact or creature you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, each opponent loses one life. That actually, like of the backgrounds, that is the one that maybe scares me a little bit because with treasures, if you got your commander in play, you just, <laughs> just kill people with that card. Yeah. They just die. That's yeah. amazing. Oh my God. Yeah, in a treasure deck, that's just going to kill people. Well, if, if we're going to just rant and rave about Baldur's Gate cards, I have one that's actually... I think, well, actually, I have a couple that I really, really like, but one is just, it's such a perfect little hate bear. It's not stopping anybody from doing anything. Uh, and that card is Archivist of Ogma. So it's one and a white for a creature halfling cleric. It's a 2 2 with flash. And whenever an opponent searches their library, you gain one life and draw a card. Now, this is, this is, oh, it's just such a perfect balance of hate bear, but also you're getting benefits from it. One thing I know about the hate bear style decks is people don't like you from stopping what they want to be doing. They don't want to, you know, they don't want you to stop them from playing the game or doing their little things. This doesn't stop you or opponents or anybody from doing anything. It's just rewarding you the more that they're doing. So if somebody cracks a fetch land or tutors or whatever it is, or or even ramps, it searches their library. Mm -hmm. So they cast a, a, a far seek, you're going to draw a card off of this. This is such just a wonderful effect. It's not oppressive. It's not stopping people from functioning and shutting decks down. It's just rewarding you. And it just, it's such a perfect balance of it's giving card draw in white, which admittedly has been a little bit of a struggle, but then they're really just turning a corner in these past few sets. And this card is just 
peak that balance that they're starting to hit. Uh, I I love it. I just I can't rant or rave enough about this card. Especially what I like about it is that it, it scales to the power level of the rest of the table as well. Absolutely. And, and that is a really nice thing to see from design is that like this card could maybe do not a whole lot. But if the rest of the table is doing quite a whole lot, then so will you. And I really appreciate that eye uh, towards card design yep. in, in basically any capacity, but especially in this one. Yeah, Joey, I, I've, I've seen a few people talking about at their high level tables how this card might potentially be a problem. Mm. It's only a problem if people are doing problematic things. So if people are tutoring and, and fetching and all those types of things that are you know going to be at the higher power level pods, then yeah, this is going to get great value. Otherwise, if you're playing with people who are like, okay, I'm going to crack my Evolving Wilds because I'm in a pre-con level deck, this is still going to get better. It's never a dead card, but it's only as good as the table lets it be. Yes, exactly, Matt. And really, what I'm happy to see here is that this set actually does feel like it's hitting the the beats of like finding cool, interesting, fun, and also powerful white cards, which is, it's so funny to me because the first Commander Legend set was like billed and sold as powerful white cards in this set. And we were all kind of like, eh, there's powerful white card in the set. Whereas <laughs> in this set, it feels like they're actually delivering. Like, seriously, there's that uh, small, like, mono white equipment great sort of tier, which is just a little equipment that also gives plus one counters and taps down some stuff. And that common seems better to me than the mythic seraphic great sword from the previous Commander Legends set. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go there. Like, this common is better than that mythic. Like, that's the, the level that it feels at, but it also feels appropriate. And there are just fun cards. In the, and that's what matters most. Not that the cards need to be powerful they need to be fun like dana i know you're a fan of that uh myriad card from Baldur's gate as well giving all myriad to all of all of your creatures eight mana enchantment there it's kind of weird it's kind of interesting i'm curious to see what people do with it and that is the fun part of it yeah very much so that this this was the set with the powerful and interesting cards for white there there was a lot of stuff that i would see during the previous i'm like oh finally white's getting some stuff oh finally <laughs> The sort of apologies for traffic rate sword, like you said. <laughs> yeah. This again, say what you will about mistakes Watsi's made in Commander. I, I feel like for the most part they don't repeat them. They've been doing a much better job, like acknowledging things that didn't go quite right and finding ways to correct them. And I that's that's really the best you can hope for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely terrific. Really, really thrilled. But you know what? We've just been talking about one set so far, and there are two other sets that also came out this year. And there are cards from those sets that we really like, too. So we'll get to those in a second. Like, I'm, I'm really excited for it. There's a lot of cards that we're really excited for. It's great positive vibes. Really, really happy about it. But let's get to them in a moment, because another thing that has all of the positive vibes to it as well is challenge the stats. It's just one of our favorite things to do here on the podcast. We like to do it every episode. There's so much data on EDH Rec, but we don't always agree with all of it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much or too little play, so we love challenging those statistics. Matt, do you mind starting us off this week with your challenge? Well, it's not technically my challenge, but I can start us off. So one of our listeners went to patreon.com slash edhreccast and joined the Discord community. And they actually joined where you can submit a challenge of stats every single week. And it goes into our pool that we pick from. We give us challenge every single week, a highlight. And this week, um, Rutabaga in our Discord challenged a card that I think is actually, it's 
I mean, it's a very, very old card, but I think it's a great card. And that card is Necrologia. It is three black black for an instant that says you can only cast Necrologia during your end step. And as an additional cost to cast Necrologia, you pay X life and you draw X cards. So they point out that they would like to challenge Necrologia in Quasar Augur of Agony's decks. There's already a thousand Quasar decks and deck builders have noted the power of Peer Into the Abyss with a 63% inclusion, which is a sorcery for seven mana where you draw half your cards rounded up and you lose half your life rounded up. Uh, Necrologia does very similar things, letting you draw cards equal to the amount of life you pay into it, which you'll then get right back thanks to Quaza's draw trigger uh, and possibly taking out opponents in the process. So Quaza Augur of Agonies is a pretty simple ability. It's just whenever you draw a card, target opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So you're effectively able to pay X life draw a bunch of cards and then have opponents lose that much life. And then you just gain that life right back. So really they're the ones paying the life when you really think about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is an absolutely powerful inclusion. Uh, Quasar decks are only playing this in about 19% of decks right now. And this is just such a catch mm. because Peer from the Abyss is played in over 60% of decks. This should be almost a one for one. You have a little bit of flexibility. It's just such a powerful card. It's forgotten. It, Dana, of course, knows it's from 7th edition and Exodus, but it's also just a dollar card. It's a great little fit that you can grab in there. Rutabaga, this is such a good pick. There's always these cards if you find... Not quite the same, but close to a very high percentage inclusion card. This is a perfect example of that. It's so close to Peer Into the Abyss. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I really like this challenge. If you're playing Quasidex, you probably want to give a look at this card. That's That sounds really, really spicy. I like that. And I totally agree. If 60% of folks are, are playing the Peer Into the Abyss for Quasar, then yeah, Necrologia seems like it could also bump up quite a bit more too. Although, funny thing about the Peer Into the Abyss, every time I hear the name of that card, I don't hear Peer Into the Abyss. I hear Peer and Toothy Abyss, like the, the partner with commanders from Battle Bond. It's just... Every time I hear it, that's 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 what comes to mind first. I always have to reset my brain about that card. It's making it it makes no sense to maybe anyone but me, but I think it's fun. And I'm happy for you. It's your, it's your baby lasagna. <laughs> it's another baby lasagna. Yes, exactly, Dana. Exactly. We have fun with pronunciations on this show. Oh man. Um, but hey, you know what, Matt? You mentioned card draw for your challenge, and uh, I think that I think that I'll mention card draw for my challenge here because I actually have a card that I think might be seeing a little too much play in Henzi Toolbox Torre decks. So Henzi Toolbox Torre is that Jund Commander, or I know it has a, a different Capenna name, but we call it Jund in this house. It is a Jund Commander that gives all of your creatures blitz. So basically, it allows you to play your creatures for a little bit cheaper. It will give them haste, but they will be sacrificed at the end step. So it kind of allows you to do sneak attack effects with the creatures that are in your hand. And it's a really fun and really popular uh, commander from Streets of New Capenna. Um, the card Death Reap Ritual is one that I want to look into for Henzi decks, though. That is a four mana enchantment that says at the beginning of each end step, if a creature died this turn, you will draw a card. And you know what? To an extent, I actually think that this challenge kind of goes for Zayatora decks as well, which also has an end step sacrifice ability that lets you fling creatures at your opponents. Death Reap Ritual draws a card on each end step if a creature died this turn. But the thing is that both of these commanders, Henzi and Zayatora, they both have creatures die 
on the end step. They sacrifice things on the end step. And Death Reap Ritual doesn't actually draw a card off of those types of sacrifices. According to the rulings on Death Reap Ritual, a creature has to have died before the end step or else the ritual won't trigger at all. This is something called an intervening if trigger for those rule-savvy folks who are out there. And yet, Death Reap Ritual shows up in 35% of Henzi decks and like 11% of Zyatora decks. And I think it actually came in the Henzi precon. This could be a good card if you're doing enough other death trigger stuff, but this is just an important rules nonbo that I really wanted to point out to folks because the fact that it's in the precon but doesn't actually directly synergize with the commander is a little bit tricky to catch. And I just think that it's important and maybe that might encourage you to find a different card draw spell to use instead. But yeah, just be aware of how much death trigger is actually going on in either of these Jund decks for you to see if this is really the right card draw enchantment for you. So anyway, yeah, little weird rules nonbo for me on my challenge there. But hey, now we're going to round it out with yours, Dana. What's going on for you this week? So I want to challenge the stats a little bit on a card from uh, way back in the Innistrad block, Bower Passage. It's one in a green, and it just says creatures with flying can't block creatures you control. And the reason I want to challenge it is that I was putting together a Dromoko the Eternal deck fairly recently, and I you know asked myself the question, what can I do to make sure I can poke through damage? I need tramp some some way to give my creatures, say, trample, for example. So if somebody has out some flying blockers, I can make sure to carry some of that damage over. Um, except for the thing that's better than trampling damage over the top is just hitting people in a way that is unblockable in the first place. Trample <laughs> damage can still be soaked up or some portion of it at least. If you have a bunch of flyers, um, the only thing that can block your flyers with Bower Passage are, are creatures with reach. So basically nothing. Unless you're playing <laughs> someone's spider tribal deck, Bower Passage gives flyers a functionally unblockability. Um, Primal Rage that also that grants your creatures trample is a five-ish dollar card for the same mana value. Bower Passage is a five cent card for the same mana value. And I definitely wouldn't recommend running Bower Passage if you've got a bunch of creatures on the ground. But if like you are playing a dragon deck, for example, in green and want to be able to punch people in the face and not have to worry about your stuff getting blocked, <laughs> that's a really good solution. It's going to give your creatures functionally unblockable in any kind of a deck that has access to green where you are running a bunch of flyers which is a surprising amount of decks. There's a good bit of angel tribal deck that, that, that are running access to green. There's more than a few bird decks that are in band colors. There's a lot of five color dragon decks out there. There's a lot of gruel dragon decks out there. It's just a really good cheap way to be able to uh, ensure your damage punches through to hit people. And it's a way to do it for, you know, less than the cost of a gumball. <laughs> so Bauer Passage in just 2000 decks right now and it should see more, more more play in decks that are really heavy on flyers. I, I love that, Dana, when it comes to, like, we've gotten literally, like, over 100 new legendary creatures over the span of, like, two months. And when it came time for you to decide, what new deck will I build? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, this one from, like, eight years ago. That's the thing for me. I it's it's, it, it's Tarkir's time. It's time for me to look at that set and say, <laughs> okay, what, what commanders are, am I ready to play? And I, I, I'm slowly moving forward. And any day now, I could pick something from Ixalan. <laughs> 
<laughs> what is this newfangled thing called right. the Obzon? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. so terrific. Oh, man. Okay, let's get back to talking about some other cards that we love from this year so far. And Matt, I actually want to share this with you. There are so many amazing cards that came out this year that make a bunch of tokens and i know that you like tokens and i know that i like tokens like can we talk about how amazing the card Gra uh, grand crescendo is which is like that x uh it's two white and x to give your stuff indestructible and you make x tokens you make x one ones i just it's so beautiful and i know that you and i both really love this card i i do really love this card i just don't love that you stole this from my section of the notes and are claiming it as your own <laughs> it's also That's in my section of the notes oh, i've got hmm. I, I've got I, this one. I, I dibsed all the white cards, remember? You get the black cards, I get the white cards. <laughs> no, no, there are so many other white cards that I want to mention here. Myosian of Blooming Dawn is another, because you make so many tokens. That's another, that's the Myosian, like, oh, it's, they make so many one ones. I love that. My Thalese deck is over the moon. Well, and this card, I love modal cards that don't actually say they're modal cards. That, and this is one of those where you can just pay pay the white white, don't pay X, X equals zero, and just give your creatures indestructible. That's a perfectly fine card. You know, there's heroic interventions already played in a ton of decks, such mm -hmm. a green staple type of card. And this is just white white for that effect. Well, not, not the hex proof, I get that. But giving all your creatures indestructible is a very, very powerful effect. But you also can cast this for X equals however many, and you get to make an army as well. I love this type of card. It's so good. I was so excited for it. And I am, I am, I, as Joey would say, I am here for it. I, I am here for it. This is showing up in decks. I love it. I put it in fleece. I'm sure that you've put it in, you have 800 Selesnya decks, something like that. You've put it in a whole bunch of- I have a decks, Boros sure. deck too that plays this. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And I also want to shout out the card Rabble Rousing, which is that five mana hideaway enchantment. Whenever mm -hmm. you attack with creatures, you make more creatures. And it also lets you play the hideaway card for free if you have enough of those creatures. Like this feels to me like a card that might've been a little bit slept on from Nuka because that is a lot of tokens that you can make just by hitting people, which is the thing you wanted to do anyway. Like the ability to make a bunch of one ones in white this year has really just, ah, oh, I, I absolutely, I love how many these make. It's not just like, oh, I'll make three tokens or I'll make a couple of one. -one. These make a huge number of tokens. And that is really, really great for a whole variety of decks. And I love every single one of these. One card that I've, I've really kind of fallen for, um, this came out this year is Roadside Reliquary. It's not particularly flashy. It's a land that taps for colorless mana, and you can spend two and sacrifice it. Um, you draw a card if you control an artifact, and you draw a card if you control an enchantment. Um, and this isn't a, a new thing. That there's been the Horizon Lands that can be sacrificed to draw a card. Hmm. Um, we've had Cryptic Caves, for example, that taps for colorless, and you can spend one to sacrifice it to draw a card. But for some reason, the ability to draw two cards very, very frequently, and sure, once in a while, you're not going to have one or the other, so you're going to spend two mana to draw a single card, which is worse than Cryptic Caves. But in a deck that, you know, and, and a lot of my decks have 10 to 12 enchantments and easily that many artifacts, I found that when it comes time to actually sacrifice this, when the game's a little bit further along and I don't necessarily need to have access to all of those lands, it's almost always cracking to draw me two. Um, that just feels really, really good at that like turn eight point in the game when you just haven't hit that draw spell yet or you just need a little extra gas. Um, 
in, in a way that Cryptic Caves, which I did test out as well, never really felt that powerful. It felt like I was kind of replacing a land with one card, and that's fine. Hmm. Drawing two felt like a really, really big deal, and whenever I've been able to use it in a game, I've been super happy with Roadside Reliquary. Oh, Dana, I really like that pick, too. That one feels very under the radar, but I totally agree. That's a nice boost when you need it. And I think you're right that it works a lot when you want it to. So A plus on that one. That's also very subtle, but great design. Well, I have one that I'm going to throw out there that we talked a lot about cards that they're not generically good, but they're very good in certain decks. I'm going to I'm going to push back against that. I'm sorry. I'm going to put one in there that's just it's just good in every black deck. And every time that I've seen it, it has blown my mind. Oh. And that card is Protection Racket. Uh, it's two in, a <laughs> two in a black for an enchantment. And it's basically Dark Confidant for the table. So at the beginning of your upkeep, you repeat the following process for each opponent in turn order. You reveal a top card of your library. Then that player may pay life equal to that card's mana value. If they do, you exile the card. Otherwise, you put it into your hand. So people have a choice to either pay a bunch of life so you don't get to draw extra cards or you get to draw extra cards. So either you're drawing more cards or you're burning them down. And this, oh my gosh, this card has done <laughs> so much work. I bought two of them without a deck in mind to put them in, but I just know that I'm going to need them eventually. This card is so absurd. I, I haven't had so many WTF moments as I have from this card in a long time. Oh, Matt, I, you're reaching into my part of the notes now, too, because I also put this down as a card that I wanted to talk about because I love it. All three of us, all three of us put this card into our notes. I just wanted to claim it as my own. <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen this hit the table when at least one person in the pod didn't go, well, that can't work that way. <laughs> yes, in fact, it can work that way and does. Yeah. And it's only three mana. That's the most absurd part yeah. is this does <laughs> yeah. so much work for only three mana. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it's a it's a clever design too because sometimes you have the, these things where a, a powerful card like this scales in a way at higher power levels where it gets even stronger and stronger. Looking at Doxide Extortionist for an example, mm. this isn't that. This is this is a card where at yeah. relatively casual tables it's an absolute monster, and it's much less frightening when everyone's flipping over one drops and two drops at like higher competitive power levels. Yeah, th this is, uh, uh, we we have played on our stream, twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast. Um, we have seen Protection Racket cause a couple, cause a racket um, when I've played it in my Yannette Cryptic Sovereign deck, because that is a deck that I have just packed to the gills with a bunch of seven and nine drops and just on the upkeep flipping over, hey, Dana, would you like me to have this Mines Dilation in my hand or would you like to lose seven life? Hey, Matt, would you like for me to have this Emiria's call in my hand or would you like to lose seven life? Like for that to happen over and over again. Yeah, I do love it. It it rewards you for being a little bit foolish with your decks. And I, I, I love that. That, that. That's my favorite way to describe it. If you get to be foolish with your decks and this rewards you for that, that's just right up my alley. <laughs> oh, yeah. Such a terrific pick. Absolutely love that one. I also here's here's a maybe a little bit more on the subtle end. Uh, it's a card that I've praised on the podcast before, but I also really want to shout out March of Swirling Mist, which is the blue X spell from Neon uh, Dynasty that lets you phase out X creatures. That's just so lovely. 
I just really, really like that effect. It can be used defensively to protect your creatures if they were about to be cyclonic rifted or destroyed by some type of board wipe, or it allows you to just blank out someone else's attackers for a while, or it allows you to get rid of a couple of other people's blockers so that you can swing in for lethal. There's a wonderful, just a terrific amount of flexibility with this card, including how many creatures you hit with it and its own mana cost, because you can actually get rid of blue cards from your hand to make it a little bit cheaper. This is a terrific card for me that I've used defensively and offensively. I've used it to go big. I've used it to save just one thing before. I really, really appreciate March of Swirling Mists a whole, whole lot. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of both Aetherize and Aether Spouts in, in blue decks as a way to just mass bounce people for having the gall to dare attack you. Um, <laughs> but the problem, such as it is with those cards, is people can then get their you know ETV triggers back if the deck cares about those kind of things. Like sometimes there's a downside to it. Right. In this case, they don't get that. Like you are just phasing <laughs> those creatures out, and if you're using it as a fog they aren't going to get th those things back. If you're using it to remove blockers, you might be killing them. So, so I guess it doesn't matter. But if it, if they do get their things back again, you're not getting those triggers. It's a really, really solid card, but also it isn't one of those ones where I feel like I want to pull out Aether Spouts or Aether Eyes. It's good in its own way. And I have to consider whether the deck prefers one or the other. And I, I like that as a design where you're forced to make tough choices. Mm -hmm. I love that. Another one that, that I've really liked so far uh, out of New Capenna is an offer you can't refuse. Ooh. The name is obviously fantastic and it should be ran just for that reason. Um, <laughs> but it's a great counterspell. Um, instant speed for, you know, a single blue counter target non-creature spell and its controller creates two treasure tokens. Um, the efficiency of that is fantastic, particularly for the way I play counterspells. And, you know, yes, if you're playing in a super competitive meta where... You need to be as efficient as possible. It's still really good there. For me, I, I don't tend to run counter spells for anything other than a way to absolutely save myself from losing a game. <laughs> I'm not running them to control the board. I'm not running them for value. I have, you know, three or four, maybe five counter spells in a couple of my blue decks, and I'm just running them as an oh crap button that I can hit in the eventuality <laughs> that something bad is about to happen. But because I use them that way, if I leave mana up, I don't always, you know, necessarily have want to cast a spell that turn. I might want to hold on to it and save it for an opportunity when I need to hit that button. Um, and if I, you know, I, I tend to not necessarily build in a way where I have a ton of mana sinks either. So being able to leave a single blue up for an offer you can't refuse, it doesn't feel terrible if I don't use it. So at least for the way I play, this has been a fantastic spell. You know, occasionally someone's going to drop a crater, a crater hoof I can't stop or something. But like mm -hmm. most of the time, it's perfect for the way I use counter spells. I've got to cast it a couple times so far and been thrilled with how it's performed for me especially. Well, I just think it's so funny how you talk about the way that you use your counter spells because a card that I want to talk about, and I've talked about it a few times the past probably five episodes or so, is the way that I play counterspells, which is very, very different from the way yes. that you do. Um, <laughs> Access Denied is one of my favorite cards so far. So, Joe, you talked about making tokens. Mm. Even if you're not in token colors, you can make a lot of tokens. So, Access Denied is three blue-blue for an instant. It says counter-target spell. You create X-1-1 colorless thopter artifact creature tokens with flying, where X is that spell's mana value. And these types of counterspells, I absolutely love. Y yes, you can play the hyper-efficient ones as the oh crap button, or you can pay these, <laughs> play these 
big mana counter spells that are effectively getting you some massive advantage and stopping something massive from happening at the same time. The, the tempo swing with cards like this can be enormous. Uh, I, I have likened this to Spell Swindle or Dana, one of your favorite cards, Overwhelming Intellect. If you look at these as... I'm going to create an army of Thopters, or I'm going to make a whole bunch of treasure or draw a bunch of cards instead of, well, it's a counterspell, but it's a narrow counterspell. And so maybe I get a little bit off of it. If you just look at this as a draw spell or an army in a can, anything like that, just change your perception on these counterspells just a little bit. The upside is so crazy. And I just, I absolutely adore this card. I play it in any blue deck because who doesn't want a bunch of Thopters while also stopping that Avenger of Zendikar from happening? <laughs> right. That's just such a huge, huge momentum swing because not only are you denying somebody a massive mana investment, but you're getting your own bonus based off how big their investment was. It is so good. I love this card. Probably one of my favorite cards from Neon Dynasty in that whole, whole cycle right there. And there are certain commanders that take advantage of effects like that in such fun ways. Like the access denied making you all of those thopters sounds like an amazing, you know, precursor to then slamming a Brutoclad right into play on your next turn, for example. And then you can turn all of those tokens into different types of tokens. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Or when it comes to the offer that you can't refuse, like I'ma say it, I like that card a little bit more than Swan Song, because Swan Song is technically a little bit more limited in the types of things that it can counter. And Swan Song creates a bird token for your opponent. And a thing that I have actually encountered a small handful of times when I am playing a deck that would want a very efficient type of counterspell is that usually I'm using those counterspells to protect a really big commander that might be trying to Voltron in my opponents for commander damage, for example. And giving my opponents an evasive blocker actually does stop me from being able to chunk them in the air with commander damage. And giving them two treasure tokens completely avoids that. And it has a little bit more targets. So yeah, I love both of these. They are on a little bit opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of like big wild effects and small efficient effects, but they both have such wonderful nuance to them that I can't help but fall in love with them. Ah, I love it. I'm just shocked Matt plays blue cards. You know, you know if it's making creatures, I can play whatever color need to That's be. That's true. <laughs> that, okay, that makes more sense. Good, good point. And you know what? Actually, there's one other thing that I really want to shout out here too, and it's something that, again, we have mentioned a couple of times, but like the three mana mana rocks that have been coming out are really, really impressive. And I definitely want to give a huge nod to Glittering Stockpile, which is the red three mana mana rock. It is itself a treasure. You can tap it to add a red and you get a stash counter on it. And you can tap it, sacrifice it, and get X mana of any one color where X is the number of stash counters that have been accumulated on this thing. Like this is just so cool and exciting and fun. And I love the buildup. I love the drama of this card. I just really appreciate that. And there are fun new three mana mana rocks in the Baldur's Gate set too. I, I think I forgot to mention this earlier in the episode, but that decanter of endless water mana rock, three mana tap to add one mana of any color and you have no maximum hand size. This is basically a manolith version of Thought Vessel. Like, uh, I just love these. Like they are doing really, really well with those three mana mana rocks. And I know it's something that we've before, but these two especially are tremendous highlights for me that I really want to give some spotlight to. I really like the design on these and I'm excited to play them in a whole lot of places. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's another good example of forcing you to make a choice. Mm. For a lot of years there, there really wasn't a difficult choice to make. The two mana rocks were just in almost every situation better than running the mana of the world. Your, your deck just functioned better doing that. 
that that isn't the case with all of these three mana rocks we've gotten in the last few years. There's a lot of situations, particularly if your deck isn't striving for speed, where spending that extra mana and getting that extra bit of gas that that rock provides you is definitely worth it. And it's it's again, it's a great situation where we're, you're forced to make a choice based on what's best for your deck. And again, it's just the game plays way better, I think, when you have to do that. Yeah, when Gavin Verhey and the design team kind of started outwardly saying, well, we're going to start doing this. We're going to start exploring three mana rocks and give people a reason to want to play this. Yeah. I kind of anxiously sat around and said, okay, well, we'll prove it. And they are. They absolutely yeah. are. They're, they're yeah. giving us these, these reasons to play all these fun three mana rocks. Yes, if you're worried about the hyper efficiency, there's still space. There's still the arcane signets and the soul rings and all that. But for the, the, the middling players like myself, there are so many great, great options now. Yeah, so fun. And and you know what? One last shout out for me here too. I don't know. The the Pride Secret Layer meant a lot to me to see as well. Like there's just really fun stuff that is happening on that. And like, <laughs> I don't know. Rainbow Capitalism is certainly its own conversation. But these were some pieces that really did mean a lot to me and meant a whole lot of uh, to, to the folks that saw them. So I just also wanted to like mention that. That is another thing that gave me the warm fuzzies this year. Uh, so like that, that to me is ultimately what this uh, episode has been so fun to do is just like, yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of sets. Basically every week we're getting 300 new cards or we're getting 100 legends every uh, every set, but th these are some just terrific standouts, and I'm so happy to see how much excitement that it has inspired for us. And I'm excited to see the new cards that you uh, make in in decks, Dana and uh, Matt. I'm excited o old to cards, see Joey, old cards. I'm oh, old cards, <laughs> old cards for, yes, yes. for Dana, Dana with the Dromoka, and and Matt. I'm excited to see uh, you add cards to your super secret red and blue deck that we, but we don't know <laughs> what the name of the commander is. Yes. Oh, I, I have so many secret decks that I just never play because I want to hide them. I, I'm making that up. <laughs> yeah. No, there's there's something going on for for all of us, and I just I, it was really nice to linger in that positivity and just feel the excitement on all of this because you know this is a strategy game, but like is a game we're here to have fun, and dang it, they are delivering in spades for us to have a whole lot of fun, and that's really really tremendous, exciting, really 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 pleased about that. So listeners, we would really like to hear from you about the cards that have generated the most excitement for you, the things that you're really delighted to put into your decks so far from 2022. What's catching y'all's interest out there let us know and with that fellas let's call this episode to a close if our listeners want to get in touch with us where is it that they can find us all matt so you can find me on twitter at mathemus 55 that's m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 and don't forget wednesday evenings we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash edh retcast we have guests on every single week and it's always such a fantastic time so make sure you tune in wednesday evenings twitch.tv slash edh retcast and dana you can find me on the twitter birds at dana roach I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald. You can hear me on my other podcasts, CMDR Central, and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDH Recast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you have a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Plus, you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRecast for cool, custom EDHREC sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.